You're listening to the Empowered Divorce Podcast, where women support women who have experienced betrayal trauma and abuse and are now facing divorce. Here, you'll learn tools and concepts to help guide your journey from a place of empowerment by trusting yourself and becoming the chooser in your life. I'm your host, Amy Woolsey. Thanks for joining. Hello, hello, my amazing, beautiful listeners. How are you today? Thank you for joining me, especially with these episodes of Women Supporting Women who are sharing their stories bravely. Today, we are supporting Emily as she shares her story and journey to empowerment, how facing her physical challenges often brought about through the years of trauma impacted her, and yet she shares her growth that has come from her pain. Before we jump into the conversation, I do just want to invite you to check out the Believing in You group coaching membership that will help you to take your growth to the next level. You can find out more with the link in the show notes. This coaching membership comes with not only support, if that's what you're looking for, you're going to get tools taught each week to practice, worksheets to help you practice, and every 12-week cycle in the membership, you're going to get two free one-on-one sessions with me. I love this group and have seen so many women really thrive as they've learned to lean into this work and really become more aware of their brain and how the trauma they've experienced is keeping them from thriving. And you too can have an empowered divorce. All right, here is my interview with Emily. Enjoy. Emily, thank you very much for joining the Empowered Divorce Podcast because you have just had an empowered divorce. And I cannot wait for women who are listening to hear your story and to hear those moments where you consciously stepped into your control bubble, your power, your choice. And as we were talking briefly before I hit record, you said so beautifully, gave me chills. I feel better than I have. I'm healthy. Yeah. It's a long journey. Still, there's lots of healing in front of me. But it's, it's a different heart. And that's what we feel differently. It's my stuff. <laughs> it's my heart. <laughs> Someone else's stuff that I'm trying to help heal and fix. This is my heart. And it's empowering to be able to face my issues and be able to choose and to grow and to heal, heal forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So share with us a little bit of your journey. And those key moments for you? My journey began back in 1997, a year after we were married, when I walked in on something and that was our first D-Day. And 1997 was a time when pornography wasn't talked about. And I was baffled. And I was so shocked that I didn't know what to do. And we both handled it so awkwardly, right? So it came up one other time and once again, tried to face it in the light the best we could, but thought we were mostly through it. And then in 2007, my husband was serving as a bishop for our church. And one of my dear friend's husbands went in to talk to him about some issues. And my husband, as the ecclesiastical leader, encouraged her to come talk to me as a friend to have support and know she would be okay. And in the process of us supporting them, I realized how much, I know the word trauma to use for it now. I didn't know then, just unresolved feelings I still had. And I 
went to him one night and said, since we're in a safe place, that this isn't an issue for us anymore. I need a space to resolve these feelings. And it ended up all coming out that it was still very much an acting problem. And that it just baffled me and hurt so much. And it came to the point of the realization of this is an addiction. Like if you could have healed it yourself, you would have, but it, it's still there and it's still. So that was a really traumatic experience for a couple of years. Once again, ecclesiastical leaders didn't necessarily have the training to know how to deal with that. And that ended up being part of the trauma that by side of it wasn't acknowledged. Are you going to support him or are you going to make a big deal about this and we need to release him? And so it set up that my duty to be his helpmate, to support him through this and to not see myself as a person who has feelings or who has hurt or who was betrayed, who's been lied to. And so I didn't have the opportunity to work through a lot of that. And the addiction behavior was a coping mechanism to deal with a lot of other issues. There was anger issues and there was inability to have emotional awareness and to know what to do to regulate those emotions and to, and this affected a lot of things, especially parenting. When the kids would be kids, blow-ups would happen. And I thought it was my duty to step in and protect the kids and be the mediator between angry dad and kids being kids. And I took on that role. There's so much codependency that got birthed into this relationship as we had children, because that was my way of coping with his way of coping. And I just didn't know how unhealthy it was. I didn't know there was a better way. I was just trying to do what I thought was my job. And I just love Amy. This is one of the biggest ahas when I started doing coaching with you, is you helping me realize, you realize that's not your job, right? And, and that was this big aha, like, wait, what? It's nothing. And being able to step away from that and realize that helped me stuck for so long. The false belief that it was my job to protect my children. And it was my job to help him regulate his emotion. And it was my job to keep him from not being triggered so he wouldn't turn to pornography. I thought all of that was my job. And that's a heavy load to carry. And as a result, it kept me in survival mode. I lived in survival mode for so many years. Yeah. It's a lot of duty. It's a lot of responsibility that isn't ours. And I, I am highlighting that piece because you've said, you've mentioned that, like, that's, a, that's what's really standing out to me is that, that sense of obligation, responsibility, accountability for this other person, for our children, for the marriage, for all the things. And that just gets so put upon us as women in this society, in this world, in religious culture. And it is, it is stifling. You said something that just stuck out to me that resonates with me. It's my duty to support him and not be seen. Yeah. And in turn, we don't see ourselves because we are trained and expected to watch and observe everybody else and but this is why we lose ourselves yeah 
that that's not, I'm realizing how unhealthy that is. It's codependent. It's not being Christ-like. Yes, true. But yeah, but I didn't know any different. Nobody had been there to mentor me. My parents had a very unhealthy marriage and they got divorced when I was already married, but they could have gotten divorced when I was 13 and it wouldn't have been a surprise. And, And I always swore in my heart, I'm not going to go that route. Like I I studied in college, marriage and family. Like I wanted to know a better way. I went back and got my master's and did all sorts of research and academic publications on strengthening marriage and family. That was so important to me. So the fact that this was going on within my marriage and despite my best efforts and all of these fabulous tools, let's bring Gottman in, let's bring all of these skills and it wasn't doing any good. In my naivety, I thought if I just keep trying, something's going to work. At some point, it's going to work. And honestly, I remember it's that some point was, okay, well, maybe the next slide. Maybe after, I don't know, just like, okay, maybe I'm just supposed to suffer through this life. Maybe this is my lot. Maybe I asked for this in some way. Maybe I, like, whatever it was. But I remember reconciling that this just maybe is what I'm been given and crossed to bear. And this is what God wants me to deal with. And you made stupid choices in high school. So now this is what your punishment is. Like all of those kinds of thoughts, I, I, right? It just, it kept me in that space of duty, obligation, endure, keep going, keep suffering. And what I'm hearing too, and as you talk is like, here you are. And I, okay. Sometimes my brain works faster than my mouth. Let me slow my brain down. I want women to hear, again, your education, your knowledge. You went and got schooling on this. You were learning. You were doing the things. And what's so interesting about this is because sometimes I think, well, I didn't know I got it wrong. And if I was the whole bargaining, if I was smarter, if I had, if I, if I, if I. And what I want to highlight here is that no matter what, you try to control outside of you or focus outside of you when you lose that connection with yourself or never had it developed to begin with, which I think is most of our stories, to be honest. We were never taught how to connect with our body and emotions and mind and spirit and holistic self that no amount of education could keep you from this experience. And I think that a lot of women who might even be in tune with their bodies, it still can't keep you from this experience because the gosh darn truth is that you can't control that other person. And I think a lot of us at some point thought we did and that it was our duty to manage. To all of that, no amount of education and tool can compensate for not being able to set boundaries and not being able to nourish myself or love myself. Yeah. So how did you lean back into that? How did you start? Well, finish telling, telling parts of your story. Sorry. Okay. So, so intertwined with this is the fact that I had some medical issues that, that started manifesting not long after we got married. I have a malformation in my midbrain that 
there when I was born and it bleeds and causes problems neurologically on the right side of my body. And at first we found out about it right after our first child was born. And, but I would have periodic bleed and it would, it was pretty traumatic for our family life. And, but my husband just didn't have this skill to know how to support me and deal with it. Like it was, it was okay. And I'll support you and help you. But been a week or two weeks, it's that impatience with can to be better, can to be done. I have things I need. And I just realized, I just felt like I'm in inconvenience and I need to be better now. So I just never felt safe being vulnerable, being authentic about what my needs were and what addressing that would be met or reciprocated. And so that was a really hard time going, balancing, mediating in the marriage and in the family and having my health issues. And so, sorry, is it fair to say that you were putting yourself second? Oh, easily. And everyone else first. So you start third. Because above a husband and keeping him out of this addiction and above children or below children, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't acknowledging the reality of my own needs. Mm. And so we, we can fast forward it. There was just lots of unhealthiness and kept bringing up, kept trying to coach my husband and he would say the right thing. And it would seem that we were going on the right path and it would just cycle back to where we were. And there was a point where, where there was a fabulous book and of course, because I'm on here, I'm not going to remember it. Sexual, sexual wholeness in marriage, something like that. And I said, we really need to read this together because though I had never seen the intimacy triangle, I made the, my own analogy with my husband about this very thing that my need is emotional and mental and spiritual intimacy. And I understand they're just physical. We just need to find a way that both can be met. And I had been telling him this trying to communicate this and trying to create this bridge for years and years and years and years and said, let's read this book together because the book talked about that. And we read a chapter and sat down to discuss it together. And he's like, oh my God, this guy explains that women have these mental, emotional and spiritual intimate needs. Are you like that? And it totally baffled me. Like, did you really just say that? Like, have you not heard that for seven or eight years, I've been telling you that exact same thing in these intimate moments of sharing you, this is really the first time that you've heard that. And that was almost as much of a betrayal to me Mm. as the pornography DJ. Like Mm. it was just all of this time that I've been hanging on and believing that you, that there was hope. You've heard it. We're going to get it this time. It, it, it just wasn't there. And so that was in about 2014, 2015. And there were just lots of struggles, lots of struggles with my health and with everything. And I just started investing myself into the kids. I was homeschooling our kids at the time. And that's just where my identity went and my belonging. And I, we would do homeschool trips with them because he didn't want to travel. <laughs> And so I'd go to the Smithsonian museums with them and then would see him in the the evening and 
he'd sort of be there, but not be a part of it. And it just created this dissonance in my life of what I thought marriage would be like of what it was. And I just didn't know how to fix it. And whenever I would bring it up, it would cause problems. And and he'd stonewall me. The stonewalling was a huge, huge thing. And lots of gaslighting that I have that word to describe that. I can understand it now, but I didn't back then. It was, you just have unrealistic expectations. You're just saying my best is never good enough. Like all of these phrases, you're saying I'm the problem. I'm not saying you're the problem. I'm saying the grass is dead. It's like, we just need to deal with the grass. It's not about you. But but that couldn't happen without stonewalling happening. And because of my family of origin stuff, that abandonment, that rejection was the worst possible thing emotionally that had happened to me. I was mm. putting up with things that I knew were not good for my soul. And yet I was still choosing it, right? Then we went to Hawaii in March of 2021. And while we were in Hawaii, I had an intracranial bleed and woke up numb on the entire right side of my body. And over the course of the two weeks that we were there, it got worse. Went to the hospital twice there. They didn't know what to do. Talked to my neurosurgeon back here. Long story short, I ended up, when those two weeks were done, we flew back and I went straight from the airport to the hospital and my own neurosurgeon just assessed it and watched it. And because of where it is, it's just inaccessible surgically without destroying good brain tissue. And that was a really traumatic time. I lost proprioception on the right side of my body, which is being able to tell where your body is in space. Mm. And so I had to learn to walk again and go up the stairs again and do all these things. And it was really, really hard. And spent that summer doing occupational therapy and physical therapy. My first child got married that summer and was so excited to be able to walk without my walker and do those things for that wedding. Like it was just an emotional redefining time for me. And it was hard on him, but he just didn't have the skills to be there for me emotionally. The reality of what I was going through emotionally, and it led me to a really dark place. Lonely. It's a lonely place. Yeah. And because my body was still in so much pain, I had a lot of neuropathic pain that just wouldn't go away. It's like if you go to the dentist and get numb to take your teeth out, or like if your your leg falls asleep from sitting on it wrong. That's what I woke up to every morning and lived with all day long on that whole side of my body. I finally got to the point in the fall and things were really rough with us. And so in the fall, I finally just went to the Lord and said, I'm done. I have given this husband all that I can give, but divorce is not an option, right? But this body is breaking down and this marriage is done. And I mean, no disrespect to people who have breast cancer, but I said to the Lord, can you please just give me breast cancer? Can I just be done with this life? Like, I don't believe in suicide and I'm done. Yeah, no, I totally get you. It's it. Yes, because you're trying to stay within your value system. Like, I don't believe in suicide. And I don't believe in divorce and I can't divorce. So can you just give me something that takes me out? Yes, that's where yes. I was. I'm like, Lord, I'm tacking out of this body and then hugging out of this man. He needs another woman because I've given him all that I can. And I don't have anything left in my soul or in my body 
to be the grown up for both of us anymore. I just don't. And it was through that experience with God that God's voice came to me and said, You're not done. You have more to show with the world, but you have given all you can to this marriage, and it's okay to be done with the marriage. And that baffled me because I had never considered really considered giving up before like if i was going to give up i would have done silent now right but i was in this for the long haul and because of my commitment spiritually that i made my covenantal commitment and so to have that seed planted that i could be done and that there was more that i had to give there was there was more purpose and meaning to my life And so that led me on a journey and that took me to, there were so many angels that God put in my life to help me bring light and truth. Once I was able to see the option that my life had another option, that I had meaning and purpose outside being a help me for my husband and keeping my kids safe. I just want to pause real quick and because I know that a lot of women wait for an experience like that and don't get it. Yeah. But I just want to highlight that just because you might not have what you just had there, your life still, every one of you listening, has meaning and purpose. Yes. And that because that is truth, right? Like capital T truth, not your little T truth. This is capital T truth. Your life has meaning and purpose and God gave you the ability to choose what that is. It's just get into that power and place of choice. And what I'm hearing is that you had done enough work to step more into choice and the answer came. I think a lot of times because I know that I asked and asked and asked and didn't hear that until I had made choices to get myself in a position to hear it, I felt a thought of like, okay, you're released. But that yes. I had already left. That's after I had left and was living in an apartment. And because like, I was still fighting and thinking that I was wrong and bad and blah, blah, blah. So my point is that even if you don't hear it and you're waiting for that God come down and tell you what to do, sometimes it doesn't happen. And it doesn't mean that your life still doesn't have meaning and purpose and that you can't make that choice. Yes, 100%. And I didn't have the skills and the awareness to leave for another year. Like all these pieces came into place, but that was just like to open my eyes to the fact that there was another option. And honestly, I feel like this is my mission now in life to help women see the power of agency, to activate agency in their life. Whatever that looks, whatever their situation, we have yep. so much agency Ugh. that we don't see because so we've given away our power to so many other people. Yes, yes. so wasn't... much agency. Yes. And there are times when I would doubt myself and I'm like, even after I've left, like, am I, am I being crazy? Am I being dumb? Am I being emotional? And then I remember what a dark place I was in, what God snatched me from, like what my own willingness to see that there is a different path. And so I guess that's an empowerment message to tell women. 
if you feel like there is no other path, it's probably because you're afraid to own what the other path is. So you're letting yourself be blind to it. That was me. I was letting myself be blind to it. But in that moment, when I was ready to open my eyes and realize I don't want to be here, it was, there is another path. Now, my path was long and hard because I was in a very physically debilitated place. And so the thought of leaving and being on my own was a really hard, scary thing. It was like, how on earth? So let's happen. Yeah, well, right. And I think that is so relatable to whether women are experiencing that very same thing where physically they feel like there's no way I can. I was working with another woman who was in that same situation. She's like, I can't be on my own. I can't, I can't, I can't. There's no way. Can't see any other option. But whether it's physical or something else, I think it's just important to recognize what that message is. And it's the, if you hear the word, I can't, I have to, I should, or supposed to write them down and let's get curious about that. Because that's a very disempowering. Amy, I love that phrase that you use. Let's get curious about that. Like you have said that a hundred times in my brain that we haven't even been in a session together. And that has been so empowering for me. If because that phrase opens our mind, it really does get us to a different part of our brain, out of the survival brain and into the neocortex to think about it. Like, let's think about it. Okay, there really are other options once I get curious about it. So to go back to my story, God dropped people in my life and introduced me to the word betrayal trauma. I had never heard that before. I'd never validated that so much of the turmoil and entanglement going on inside of me was because I had never validated and dealt with my betrayal trauma. And so a friend of mine was helping me work through something. And she said, Emily, it sounds like what you're talking about, what you're experiencing is betrayal trauma. And my whole body just started tingling. And I said, Shirley, I have never heard that phrase before. But I know that what you just said is true. Can you please tell me what that is and how I get out for that? And that's what led me to worth. And that's what led me to coaching with you. And it was just wonderful. It was just, it was an opening of my eye and my soul and my heart to so many good things. And those tools and that awareness and that validation and the support This is another empowerment tool, women supporting women. Because I got to meet with a group of women who were also going through this, I was able to recognize the gaslighting for what it was. I never did before until people are saying, you may be hearing this or this is what I'm hearing. And I'm like, did they have have a microphone in my bedroom? But like other people are having the exact same conversations and the exact same experiences and the exact same feelings. And I never knew that other women felt the way I did. So because we live in a generation where there are these podcasts and where there are people talking about these things now, like feel that strength and that validation. That's so important to find your tribe that can support you in the reality of what you're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. That'll hurt me. Beautiful. I love it. And it is so important to have that support because you can't, I I say all the time, like, it's not that you shouldn't do it alone. It's you can't. 
Yeah. It's part of how you access that parasympathetic state is to have support and safety in your environment with, it doesn't have to be a 10 people. It's like two people even, (laughs) right? You and maybe two other people of a support system helps keep you in that, in that grounding state. I know that when we started working together, so, you know, you've told your story and we started working together at this point, there were a lot of those stuck points that were still there. Yeah. What are some that you feel like, because I I want women to hear like, okay, yes, I, yes, I'm stuck right there. How did you get out of that? Maybe some ideas and, or moments, aha, more aha moments. I love, I love that to quote Oprah. (laughs) First of all, I continue to do internal family systems work or parts work because I feel like it is so helpful and so healing. And I would highly, highly recommend that. But for those not familiar with it, we go through our lives and have traumatic events that we just don't have the ability or the skills or the support to work through. And we just get, I call them schism points. We get schism points and we just get stuck there. Like there's part of us that's going to like keep playing this role to help keep us safe because we weren't safe back then. And it just gets divided, right? And then the whole true us isn't in control, doesn't have the executive function, like whatever the metaphor is not driving the bus. Right. So there, I realized through this, this is 20 to 21 year old me talking, and this is 13 year old me talking. And so those ahas that came along, I think helped her find what she needed. And that helped me claim my power as an adult in the moment I was in. One of those was a phrase that you said to me that was, why are you holding space? for someone that's not holding space for you. Mm. That opened my eyes of the need of reciprocity in relationships that I am entitled to someone who is giving back to me and loving me and honoring me in the same way I am holding that space. And to accept that wasn't there was a really big thing for me. And that was very empowering for me to claim for myself that I deserved that love and that respect and that kindness. Lessons about packing your wagon and preparing yourself to leave helped me get over my stuck points of thinking through, I can't leave. Like, I don't have the tell, I don't have the ability, I don't have the financial means. It really helped me work through that. I also attended a group coaching that you were doing on should I stay or should I go? And I would highly encourage group coaching because sometimes you can, your brain isn't in a place of defensiveness and you can listen to someone else being coached and hear it and get from it the things that you need without the defensive brain kicking in. Yeah, it can pull you out of denial pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And it totally did. This did. For me, the woman that you were coaching, you she was basically saying the reason she couldn't because she didn't have enough energy or time. And you basically said, how much time and energy are you investing in managing his emotions? <laughs> I just think you're, you already are doing it. Like you're already standing on your own. And it helped me realize how much I was already doing on me. Yeah. yeah, there would be things I have to do. I had to have a handyman come and 
screw in my fire thing that I changed the battery on, right? I can't do that because of my neurological right side issue. But I would rather deal with a handyman coming to do that than to have my husband do that, but deal with all of the other things that were sapping my soul. Yeah. So that was an, a neat realization of dating past that deafness too. One of the beliefs that I struggled mightily with was that I couldn't be true me and be loved by my husband at the same time. Mm. And I just wrestled with that because whenever I let my light shine and was being me, he would get intimidated. He would get offended. He And it would end up with stonewalling and being rejected. And so I was afraid to be me. And going through this coaching and these programs helped me realize who I am is so important. And I need to have integrity to that first. And a man who really loves me will support and honor that. I won't have to choose between my true self and him. And that, say that again. We got to say that again. You won't have to choose between being my true self and him. Please. Amen. And I realized I had an addiction to pleasing him, to keeping him from being mad. And there was a podcast I listened to about having him not be mad is not the same thing as having a happy marriage. <laughs> like venting <laughs> outbursts isn't the same as thriving. And to realize that and to claim, oh my gosh, I want to have a life where I can grow and I can thrive. Not just a life where I'm trying to preemptively not make people mad. And that was a huge thing for me. Because that sucks all the joy out of life when your mission in life is to try and keep people from being mad. Try and just manage everybody's emotions. Just everybody stay happy. And yeah. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah, it is. Another thing that was very empowering for me is when you taught me about what a trauma bond was. I'd never heard that phrase and didn't understand. And so there was work, the book about the betrayal bond that I read that would very much helped me open my eyes and understand what was going on in my own life so that I could own that and I could learn to put boundaries around that. Boundaries was the biggest thing. hundred yeah. percent being able to feel that I had the right to set boundaries in my life. Having us learn about the intimacy pyramid yeah. And I introduced this to my husband before just by what I felt. Yeah. But it wasn't accepted. But to hear it coming, and when I started counseling with you after a while, my husband meeting with Luke and doing a group, and you had gone to a group, their men's group, and presented about this intimacy triangle. And so because it was coming from another authority, he accepted it as truth. But that was a realization to me is I wasn't a source of authority in my own marriage. And there's something wrong with that. Like to have these ahas of that's not okay. <laughs> it's not just true because Luke and Amy says it's true. Like it should be true because I'm, my feelings are valid. Yeah. And so to set some boundaries about things was really important. 
you also recommended that I read Fierce Intimacy or listen to Fierce Intimacy. And that was huge to me too. That introduced the piece. I remember where I was sitting in a mall parking lot waiting to go exchange some shoes. <laughs> when I listened to this break, he's like, we're going to pause. And I'm going to tell you what unhealthy sexual intimacy looks And then he described me. I'm assuming all of you guys know that, but just in case you don't. And I sort of felt like this 13-year-old girl who didn't know that I didn't know that I was so unhealthy. And it was very sobering to me to learn what healthy looked like and unhealthy it looked like. And to see that I put myself on the unhealthy side. And I'm the kind of person that once I see it, I can't not, I can't unsee it. Like, right. And so I went home and I put some really strong boundary around intimacy and around stonewalling. And if you're stonewalling me, don't you even think that you get access to this body? Like it empowered me so much to set those boundaries. And I learned about the circles of connection, that if someone, nobody is entitled to be in that center circle, right? And if they're not respecting your boundaries, then they get pushed out a circle. And then if they still don't respect those boundaries, then they get pushed out another circle. And this is what started to happen is as I set boundaries and enforced boundaries, he didn't like that. He didn't know how to respond to that. And it kept, the boundaries kept having to be further because I'm starting to realize what safe looked like and felt like and that I wasn't safe. Well, with boundaries, the reality of the relationship becomes clear. It's the, okay, like you're saying, we had to push him out to the next level. But, and I'll, like, imagine drawing like a little circle and then a circle around that circle and then a circle around that circle. That's kind of like a target. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. And that center circle is safe. And that's where I was saying, like, you and maybe two other people can be in that safe space supporting and then outside and it goes on and on. But like, yeah, it's interesting how you create a boundary for yourself to keep yourself safe. And if that person isn't, then you push them out to that next circle. And really, it's giving a clear reality check of where the relationship really is. And that's what kind of like through me is I thought he was in that center circle. I was trying to control him and get him in there. Yeah. But re- really... In order for him to be there, I couldn't be. Yeah. Then in the sense of like, I had to lose myself. I had to betray myself. I had to ignore this parts of myself for him to be in a relationship with him. But once I got connected to myself in that center space and had those boundaries, it's very clear how quickly he went, mine went to the very third party involved. Yeah. To be safe. So it's, and that was the reality all along of my situation. But until you open your eyes to see it and are willing to accept it, until you have that awareness, you talked to me through a lot of this awareness and acceptance. And as that awareness came and as the acceptance came, the path was clear. And so we did an in-home separation. There were some boundaries and some things that I, and he got mad instead of getting compassionate 
getting repentant instead of there being, I'm sorry, you're right. That isn't appropriate. It was mad. It was gaslighting. It was sorting out. And it was, you know what? I'm going to go sleep in the other room because it's not safe. And that only worked for a couple of weeks because it created more tension. And the more I had a safe place, I recognized the difference of feeling safe and feeling not safe. And waking up and hearing that and having my heart start racing, that there were physiological responses. And it was like, this is trauma. And I read Peter Levine's book, Waking the Tiger, about dealing with trauma. And it was so powerful to me. So I started, when I would feel that racingness in my body, I would go out with our axe and chop our axe or our wood pile. And it led that like visceral adrenaline, like all of that energy of the trauma out. And that was so healing for me to do that because I never been able to be angry, to, to have, I was always in the trauma moment in pushed into the mediator role or chosen to be the peacemaker role or chosen to be the coach role. And I never got to deal with it. So I chopped the wood pile a lot <laughs> in, in that time. That. And it was very therapeutic. So I totally encourage other women, you talk about that, throwing the eggs or writing the things out on the tiles and hammering the tiles and all of those things to let that energy of the trauma Ouch, that was a really, really important part of the healing. Yeah, beautiful. So where are you at right now in your journey? So after that, it led to us, me leaving. And when I left, I realized what a peaceful place I was in. Like there I slept better and like it was just different when physically I was safe. And my husband and I had a group coaching session after that with his coach. And it was really neat for me to have a third party see what was happening. And the coach point out the gaslighting, like, okay, what she just said was not inappropriate. And your reaction to her is like what you need to sit down. And it helped, it validated to me that I wasn't overreacting. And after that, I knew that I could never go back into that. And so we initiated divorce that I, it was just six months ago. And so it took six months to finalize our divorce. And there's been a lot of growth and a lot of healing, both physically as well as mentally and emotionally. One of the other tools you said, what are the other tools, the stick, sticking point, listening to you and Alana that you'll say, let's slow it down and see what's happening. To be able to learn the skill of slowing down the reaction and seeing what's happening has been so powerful. And I was able to see this in myself the day of our, of our hearing. And I went into it and I went like a friend, right? She had called and said, can I go with you? Can I support you this way? And I was so grateful. But after the hearing, he was angry. He was mad. He was in and went to like storm out and we were just happened to be right behind him and he's holding the door and looks at us and then doesn't hold the door, which was very unlike him. He was always the gentleman to hold the door for the ladies and storms out to his car. And when I saw him not hold the door and being angry, I said, you know what? We're going to stop right because his emotions and how he's reacting to this isn't mine. 
this is a day of freedom for me. And he can be angry and drive away angry if he needs to, but that's not me. So I'm going to wait right here. So physically, I was able to recognize it and stop and let him go out to his car. And we just stood there. And then we were able to go out. Now, I was able to choose with my friend the experience that I wanted to have that day and how I wanted to leave. And so I think it's that mental and emotional divorce mm-hmm. from behaviors. Mm-hmm. Setting a boundary around that, that, being able to slow it down and see it and choose was so empowering. So the day of our divorce hearing was very empowering for me, not only because it was the divorce, but because I was able to see the growth in myself, um, I don't choose that anymore. I still have a lot of work to do and a lot of codependency to work through, but that day I was able to own that his yeah. reactions don't determine my reality. Such an empowering story. Thank you so much for sharing. It's, uh, there are so many pieces in there that I think a lot of women will relate to. And above anything, I just want to highlight how throughout you sharing your story, the important pieces of when you connect with yourself. Yeah. When you connected with your body, your emotions, when you became aware of your thoughts, that's when the shift happened. And I think that's just so important to to recognize the truth in that. And anybody can access that. It takes practice. And like you said, you have more to go because there's no arrival to that. There's no point at which we say, I'm done with being aware of me. I'm done doing thought dumps. I'm done doing body scans. I'm done feeling my feelings. You're never done as long as you have a human brain. And so for, I don't know, for me, I'll say that sometimes when we're like, no, don't tell me I'm never done. I want to be done. But for me, that was a relief because I'm such a go, 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 go work, 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 hard, 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 and like perfect, perfect, perfection, perfection. And so it's letting go of that idea that there's this arrival to know that there's no rush, slow it down. If you're not resonating with how to, like what you shared about how you stopped and got in tune with your body, maybe you had a different experience that you stormed out too. That's okay. Be it just practice. Just practice because there's no rush. I think there's power in understanding the words that we hear sometimes affects how we understand it. And to use the word heal or healing, like you get, you get a cut on your arm and it does heal. Like it closes up and it's, it scabs over and then there's a scar, but it's healed. And I think it's important that we be very careful about how we use that, that we're not really healing. We're just growing. And just like a plant keeps growing, it, it doesn't stop. It doesn't get to a place of, oh, I've, I've finished growing. Like it can just keep growing. And so I think that part of my paradigm is I'm growing into who I'm becoming. It's yeah. not that I'm going to heal and arrive. So, right. That's and a lot of my business now is empowering other women with growing in the light, that it's a growth for all of us, wherever we're going and whatever pace, different people need to grow at different paces and under different conditions. 
but we all are designed to grow from in our true selves and to honor that. I love it. I know you're a gifted writer, so we'll have some of your stuff in the show notes that people can check your work out and follow you. And very neat. I love it. I love there's not enough women that can do this work to keep empowering other women. It's beautiful to see. I love it. I love it. I love it. So find our voice. And thank you. Thank you for finding your voice because that's the great voice that helped me. And the more of us that are out there, the more people can find. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emily, for being brave, sharing your story, and continuing to write your story. It's beautiful. Thank you. Have you heard I have a new divorce support group for women who are either separated, divorcing, or divorced? Wednesdays, either 9 a.m. Pacific time or 6 p.m. Pacific time. The first 12 weeks are free, but this is a great way to get much needed validation, empathy with what you're experiencing. It's a great way to feel supported and to support other women because we don't need to do this alone. Check out more information in the show notes. And remember, you are the chooser in your life and you get to create the life you want because you can. Take care, everybody.